0: Well, I was this morning. <clears throat> Turn to Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> Excuse me, Matthew 23 this morning, and I'm just going to read verse 24. And I, I made Darren read all of it for me, but <laughs> verse 24 is where we're focusing this morning. It says, "You blind guides, which strain." At a gnat and swallow a camel. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Mary Father, we thank you <clears throat> for this most wonderful day. We thank you so much that we can uh, be together in this place. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for the opportunity to study your word and to uh, learn of you. And I pray, Lord, that today you would uh, speak to our hearts through your word, that you would refresh us. And bless us as only you can. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, empower me now through the Spirit. Give me the wisdom and guidance that can only come from you. Lord, may you uh, just undertake now, maybe your words and your thoughts. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, just speak to each of our hearts now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, we've been <clears throat> looking at some of the parable sayings of our lord and this morning we come to the saying found here in verse 24 you blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel and this parable saying is only found here in the scriptures it's not found anywhere else it's only found here but it actually was a well known saying in christ's day it was something that would be commonly heard or said amongst others Um, The commentator Barnes, for instance, notes this, he says the Arabians have a similar proverb or parable which says, he eats an elephant and is suffocated with a gnat. And so Christ here is taking a well-known saying, a well-known parable, and he's teaching, using it to teach the people here a principle. Uh, And this is something that Christ often did throughout his ministry. As you know, we've been going through the parable sayings and Some of them were new, but many of them weren't new. He was simply taking what was a common saying in the day, and Christ used it to teach spiritual truth. And this particular parable saying here in verse 24 is given as part of a strong uh, sermon against the scribes and Pharisees, which is why I got uh, Darren to read uh, those first 33 verses for us, because it is a strong sermon against the scribes and Pharisees. Pharisees, you know Christ in this sermon. He repeatedly rebukes them, and he condemns them for their hypocrisy. Now, eight times throughout this sermon, Christ says, "Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees!" Now, it begins in verse 13. Just read verse 13 with me. He says, "But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering." To go in. And as we saw when Darren read through the passage for us, numerous tra- times Christ says, eight times he says, Woe unto you. And those words, woe unto you, Christ is using them, he's declaring them to be guilty. That's basically what he's saying. He's declaring them to be guilty and worthy of punishment before God. One commentator said this these woes stand in contrast to the eight beatitudes of Matthew chapter five, which of course is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus spoke harshly here, yet this was not the language of personal irritation, but of divine warning and condemnation. Such a series of woes are familiar from the Old Testament prophets, but the tone is of condemnation, and that is the emphasis here too. And so Christ here repeatedly rebukes them and repeatedly condemns them. He condemns the religious leaders of the day he doesn't hold back here, does he He doesn't mince his words you know he calls them hypocrites seven times he calls them blind guides twice fools twice blind three times and then he ends by calling them serpents and vipers you know christ uses very strong language here doesn't he to condemn the religious leaders for their wickedness and and the fact that they're leading the people astray and it's in the midst of this sermon that Christ uses this parable, saying. So let's consider first of all here this morning the meaning of the parable. The meaning of the parable. Let's just read it again. It says, "Yet there, in verse 24, ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel." And this parable consists of two parts. It's very clear that it, there's two sections to the parable. So let's concede, consider. <clears throat> the meaning of each part of the parable. In the first part we read the words, ye blind guides which strain at a gnat. Now the translation here, strain at a gnat, doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense and many believe that it's actually a misprint um, dating back to when the translators actually first published the King James. So 1611. Okay? This is a misprint that's stayed in since then. That's what many... Believe you see the word strain here uh, means to strain out, it doesn't mean strain at, it means to strain out. It's the idea of straining out by filtering, and it refers to the practice of straining out impurities out of wine or water through a piece of cloth. Okay, they put a piece of cloth over top of their cup to strain out the impurities, and so the phrase should actually be translated here strain out. A gnat, and speaking of them filtering their drink, and it's such an obvious translation that, as I said, many believe it is a a misprint. Uh, The commentator Barnes is one of them. He says, He says this, there is, however, a mistranslation or misprint here, which makes the verse unmeaning. To strain at a gnat conveys no sense. It should have been to strain out a gnat, and so it is printed in some of the earlier versions, and so it was undoubtedly rendered by the translators. The common reading is a misprint and should be corrected. And so it seems uh, apparent that this is a misprint. This shouldn't have been translated like this. It should have been translated to strain out a gnat. Uh, speaking of this practice, instead of straining their, their water or their wine before drinking. You know, in Christ's day, there were many impurities in the water in the wine. You know, it's a bit like in a third, third world country today. The, the water is full of impurities. And so this straining, this filtering process was necessary, something we don't really understand, do we? In our day and age, with all the, the chemicals that our water is treated with, we don't really understand this. And one of those things that was filtered out was, as it says here, the gnat. Now the word gnat refers to um, small flying insects. In the Bible times, the, the word referred primarily to the wine gnat or miji. Which bred in fermenting and evaporating wine. It also bred in the water. Uh, Barnes writes this. He says the gnat has has its origin in the water, not in great rivers, but in pools and marshes. In the stagnant waters, they appear in the form of small grubs or larvae. And it's in the larvae form that Christ is using it here in the parable. Okay, that's the form the gnat is appearing here. It's in the larvae form. Now, they were found in the water, in the wine that people were going to drink, and so they would strain the drink to strain out a mat before they partook. And the scribes and the Pharisees in particular made sure they did this very meticulously, lest they transgressed against the ceremonial law, okay? lest they uh, consumed an unclean thing. Just go over to Leviticus chapter 11 with me. <clears throat> <clears throat> Leviticus 11 and verse 41 says, And every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth shall be an abomination, it shall not be eaten. Whatsoever goeth upon the belly, and whatsoever goeth upon all four, or whatsoever hath more feet among, among all creeping things that creep upon the earth, them ye shall not eat, for they are. An abomination and so here in Leviticus chapter 11 it's talking about the, the food that they're allowed to eat those things that are clean and unclean and part of the unclean things they were not to partake of were creeping things basically insects were among those unclean things the Jews were not to eat and so because of this law concerning the, the unclean things the creeping things the religious leaders were very careful to strain out a gnat. They were very careful to make sure they purified their water and they got every single little bit out, lest they transgressed the law. One commentator wrote this, it was the custom of the stricter Jews to strain their wine, vinegar and other potables through linen or gauze, lest unawares they should drink down some little unclean insect therein and thus transgress." And so it's all about making sure they didn't accidentally become unclean. They didn't accidentally transgress this ceremonial law. But in contrast to this, the second half of the parable declares, they swallow a camel. They strain out a gnat, they swallow a camel. The word translated swallow here means to, to, to drink down or to gulp down. To gulp it down quickly. It's the idea of someone consuming quickly and fully with no thoughts. Just enjoying it and just partaking quickly. And Butler writes, he says, This fast and full swallowing is given in sharp contrast to strain. The two words are the very opposite action. One who strains his food or drink does not gulp down his food or drink, but goes slowly so he can get the impurities strained out. In contrast... The swallowing in the saying is just the opposite. It gulps down quickly what it eats or drinks. And that's the the point here. It's the very opposite, the very other extreme. Instead of being meticulous and straining, there is now this gulping down, hard-heartedly just enjoying it. And in the case of the parable here, Christ says the Pharisees swallow a camel. Of course, the camel is a great contrast to the gnat as well, isn't it? Okay, The gnat was the very smallest, if you like, of creeping things. And the camel was the largest animal known to the Jews, the largest animal there in Israel. And so, you know, the gnat was unclean, but so was the camel, according to Leviticus chapter 11. Just go back there, Leviticus 11. And <clears throat> we'll just read from verse, verse 4. <clears throat> it says nevertheless these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the hoof as the camel because he cheweth the cud but divideth not the hoof he is unclean unto you and it goes on talks about more but it's it specifically there mentions the camel it's one of the unclean animals that they were not to partake of they were not to consume and so the contrast in the parable now becomes very clear doesn't it Okay, it speaks of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the so called religious leaders of the day. You know, they were very quick, they're very careful to strain out the very smallest gnats, but then they quickly consumed the camel. Both were unclean. Barclay writes this he says, This is a humorous picture which must have raised a laugh of a man carefully straining his wine through gauze to avoid swallowing a microscopic insect and yet cheerfully swallowing a camel it is the picture of a man who has completely lost his sense of proportion and that's the point here the religious leaders of the day had lost all sense of proportion they had lost sight of what truly mattered before god and so with that in mind let's consider here secondly now the rebuke in the parable We've understood now what the parable is actually saying. So let's now consider the rebuke in the parable. See, as I said, with this parable, Christ is rebuking the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy when it came to keeping the law. You now they made a big deal about keeping the very smallest ceremonial laws to make sure that they were ceremonially pure, to make sure that they were seen to be doing all the right things before everybody. But then at the same time, they readily neglected the weightier matters of the law, the moral law, and gravely sinned in these areas. One note of this, our Lord uses a proverbial expression to denote the inconsistency, which would avoid the smallest ceremonial defilement, but would take no account of the greatest moral pollution. They took note of the smallest ceremonial defilement, but ignored the, moral pollution, which was far worse. That's what Christ is getting at here. They were careful to abide by the civil law in every small detail, but then ignored the grossest sins in their lives. And we see a clear example of how they strained out a gnat and swallowed a camel in verse 23. This is a clear example of how they did this. So just before verse 24, Christ says in verse 23, He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cummin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now he says in verse 24, ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. In verse 23, Christ highlights a clear example of how they did this he highlights how they were careful in their observance of tithing unto the Lord. They were so careful in their tithing that they made sure they paid tithe of mint, anise and cumin. In other words, they tithed on the very smallest crop, the very smallest things. They strained out a gnat when it came to tithing. And they did this to adhere to the Uh, to the law of Leviticus chapter 27 in the very smallest detail. Let's just go back there. Leviticus 27. Excuse me. Leviticus 27 and verse 30. It says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. The seed of the land is holy unto the Lord. The tithe, and it. go over to January 14 as well, January chapter 14, and we see the same thing. January 14 and verse 22. says, Thou shalt... Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And so the verse says they were to tithe of all the increase of their seed. In both these passages, in God's law, we, we see this idea of tithing. And in the context of tithing, God's word says that they are to tithe on the crops. Okay? The seed that's produced from their crops. They were to tithe on the, the seed, the grain that their field's produced you know, the Pharisees, as was normal with them, they took that law, which was concerning the fields, what they grew in their fields. They took that law and they extended that law of tithing out to be every tiny little thing needed to be tithed unto the Lord. And so they extended it out to the very smallest garden herbs. Okay, God is talking about in January 14 and in Leviticus 27, he's talking about the fields of grain, wheat and barley and everything else, They now limit it right down to the garden herbs, the mint, the anise, and the cumin. These are the herbs that the Pharisees are growing in their own personal gardens to to use with their meals. And they make a great show of tithing the tenth part of this tiny little crop unto the Lord, making sure they give of this unto God. They're making sure they give the very smallest thing. Can't miss anything as we tithe them the Lord. And they require the same of the people. They're putting the same requirement upon the people as well. As one commentator wrote, he said this, As they saw it, the, the sweet-smelling mint and the well-known dill and the small, tender seeds of cumin must by all means be tithed. Now, in the law of Moses, not a word is said about tithing these. However, if a person had reminded these scribes and company of this fact, they would immediately have answered, but does not the law definitely demand that all the increase of your seed be tithed? You see, as was normal with the scribes and Pharisees, they made a great deal about small things. They made a great deal about small things when it came to a work that men would see. The law of tithing was really, as I said, concerning the crop of the field. The Pharisees added, added layer upon layer, and they prided themselves upon keeping. These minute details of the law, and oftentimes it was their own laws they'd added to it. Tradition. They prided themselves on keeping these works. Now we read about their pride in Leviticus. uh, Sorry, Luke chapter eighteen. Just go there. Christ gives us a clear example of their pride. Luke, eighteen. Luke eighteen and verse eleven. <clears throat> says the pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself god i thank thee that i am not as other men are extortioners unjust adulterers or even as this publican i fast twice in the week i give tithes of all that i possess now, we can see their pride can't we the pharisee boasted i give tithes of all that i possess even down to the tiniest little things i give tithes You see, really giving these small, minute things was about pride. It was about making a show of outward holiness, making sure everyone saw what they were doing so they might receive the praise of men. Of course, this is something they did with more than just tithing, wasn't it? You know, they did it with the Sabbath day. They added law upon law to the Sabbath and pride of themselves in keeping it. They added it to hand washing, to fasting, and we could go on and add lists of all the things that they added laws to. And they prided themselves on keeping these rules, these regulations. They prided themselves on straining out a gnat when it came to all these things. But then at the same time, Christ says they neglected the weightier matters of the law. They neglected the moral law. Look there again in verse 23. He says, Well, unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So at the same time they were making a great show, making sure they kept these things in minute detail, at the same time they were neglecting the moral law, the weightier matters. And Christ says those weightier matters here are judgment, mercy, and faith. Now, the first two mentioned here, judgment and mercy, they speak of their treatment towards their fellow man. You know, judgment speaks of just treatment, justice, fairness in dealing with others. And this was something the scribes and Pharisees knew little of. Instead, Christ declares that they devoured the houses of widows. Just look there in verse 14 of this same chapter. This says, Well unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a prince pretense make long prayer, therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Now Christ says they devoured widow, widows' houses. They took advantage of those in a position of ease. Instead of, instead of showing justice, judgments, they showed no justice. They were unjust. They were like greedy dogs taking advantage of the poor and helpless. They ignored justice. Christ also says they failed to show mercy. This speaks of all acts of compassion towards their fellow man. Now, the scribes and Pharisees, they had no compassion in their hearts towards others. He said they looked down upon others with complete disdain. And we saw this recently when we looked at Christ's parable, you know, they that are whole, need not a physician, but they that are sick. Remember, you know, Christ had sat down to eat a meal with the publicans, with the sinners. And the Pharisees watching on were disgusted that Christ would do such a thing. Because they thought themselves to be so much better than their fellow man. They had no compassion, no mercy in their hearts, no love. Yet God's word clearly taught that mercy was far more important than sacrifice. Hosea chapter 6, let's just turn there. Hosea chapter 6. <clears throat> Similar problem existed in Hosea's day. And this is what Hosea says in Hosea 6 and verse 6. The Lord says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I desired mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God... More than burnt offerings. You see, mercy was far more important uh, before the Lord. Mercy, far more important than outward sacrifice, outward tithing, etc. All those outward acts, those ceremonial things they were doing, going through those good works, mercy was far more important. Their heart attitude towards their fellow man, their treatment towards their fellow man needed to be right before these outward acts would please God. And that's where the Pharisees went wrong. They're keeping all these ceremonial laws to the minutest little detail, thinking it pleased God. But because there was no judgment, no justice, no mercy, those acts didn't please God at all. Those acts were all about pride. Those acts were not out of love for God, which is what he says in the last bit there. He says they also ignored faith. Okay, He says there in verse 23, he says that they ignored just judgment, mercy, and faith. Faith speaks of their relationship with God. So the first two talk about their relationship towards their fellow man. Faith speaks of their relationship with God. You know, walking by faith in Him, giving unto God what is due unto Him. In the parallel passage of Luke, we see this same thing described as love of God. Go to Luke 11 with me. In Luke 11 and verse 42... it's the parallel passage, it says in verse 42 there, But woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. And so Luke, he declares it's love of God, love and faith towards God. These two speak of having a right heart attitude towards the Lord, having a right relationship with Him, and therefore a right motivation behind the service, behind the sacrifice that's given unto Him. Of course, the Pharisee's motivation was not faith. The Pharisee's motivation was not love towards God. It was pride and self. Now we see a clear example of that in Matthew chapter 6. Let's just turn there. Matthew 6. You just read from verse 1. <clears throat> Matthew 6, verse 1, it says, Take heed that you do not your arms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily they are saying to you they have their reward. When thou doest arms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine arms may be in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. This is just a clear example. We could read on, read more examples. But a clear example of their pride in the giving of arms, sounding a trumpet before them, making sure everyone was watching before they gave. They wanted everyone to see what they were doing. You see, their motivation for straining out a gnat in all these things was not love and faith towards God, Their hearts were not right before him. Their motivation was pride and self. The the prophet Micah, he spoke very similar words of condemnation against the leaders in his day. Just turn to Micah chapter 6 with me. Micah chapter 6. And verse 8, Micah 6, verse 8, it says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, Micah here condemns the leaders in his day for a very similar problem as the Pharisees, the scribes. Now, they had a similar problem. They were neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And Micah here declares that what God required and what God wanted was that they would do justly, they would love mercy, and they would walk humbly before God. It's those same three truths, isn't it? Judgment, mercy, and faith, or love towards God, walking humbly before Him. You see, these three sum up what God is really looking for in our lives. These are the, the really important matters when it comes to worship and service for Him. These are the more important things, the weightier matters. Our attitude towards God and our attitude towards our fellow man. You know, it's for this reason that Christ declared that the two greatest commandments are that we love God and we love one another. Let's just go to Mark 12 and read that. Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> Mark 12 verse Twenty-eight. <clears throat> it says, and one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. With all thy mind, with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And Christ was very clear. He said, love God and love one another. These are the two greatest commandments. These are the two, these are the weightier matters of the law. And we can put those same things, judgment, mercy, faith into that. Judgment, mercy, love for our fellow man, faith, love towards God. You see, these are the weightier matters of the law, and the Pharisees were ignoring these. And while ever they ignored these things, it didn't matter how much they strained out of gnats, their actions were not pleasing unto the Lord. No matter how meticulous they were in all those other areas, it didn't please God. The commentator Hendrickson summed up the parable well. He said the Pharisees were paying no attention to the really important requirements of God's law but spending all their thoughts and energy on that which was totally unimportant. Although we need to be careful that we're not like the Pharisees, that we're not guilty of this hypocrisy in our Christian life. We're not guilty of this hypocrisy of straining out a gnat, while at the same time swallowing a camel. See, we need to make sure we don't ignore these weightier matters. Judgment, mercy, and faith. You see, all the outward acts of righteousness, all the outward acts of service and sacrifice that we do, those things are not pleasing unto the Lord, no matter how meticulous we are in them, if we are ignoring these weightier matters. If our relationship with God is not right and our relationship towards our fellow man is not right, that's where it needs to start with us as believers. And then those other things will be done with the right attitude and a right focus. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this very simple little parable saying, but Lord, it teaches a great truth unto us, Lord. Lord, not to neglect the weightier matters of, of your word, not to neglect these weightier matters in our lives, Lord, to seek to show judgment and mercy unto others and indeed faith and love towards you. Lord, may you work in our hearts this morning. May indeed our Christian life, our Christian walk be more than just show before others may indeed come from a, a genuine heart for you and a genuine love for others. Lord, may you bless now as we close and we pray these things in Jesus' name.